after uh, like a, like two decades of doing men's conferences, almost every single weekend, I came came to the season a few years ago where um, I just had a sense that the season was changing, that I needed to focus on other things. I had a burden in my heart for the nation, and <clears throat> I had a burden in my heart to affect the nation. And it was, you know, I, I guess I want to share this with you guys because I believe it's relevant to what the Lord laid on my heart to share with you tonight as, as, as part of the message. That the Lord does, in fact, speak to us. He calls us, and he calls us to believe, and believing then calls us to take action. Well, all right, so I was, I was uh, focused on doing the job that I'm given by my Lord to do as pastor of the church up there in central Maine. Church is doing well, growing, and meanwhile, I, they don't even notice my absence because I'm gone two days a week, you know, Friday and, uh, and Saturday. Spend a lot of late Saturday nights trying to get back to that obscure corner of the country. And then I was invited to Washington, D.C. I went down there for a, uh, it was uh, you know, Tony Perkins, uh, uh, you know, rally, Family Research Council uh, type of thing. And while I was there, I heard these guys speaking, and I've always been very much a patriot. I've always been concerned about my nation, and uh, decided that, you know, I was just so overcome, so fired up, so stirred by some of the things that I'd heard that I said, I'm going to, I need to go take a walk and talk to the Lord. I'm walking through, you know, Washington, D.C., and that's just a sort of an intense place, and I, I met a fellow Mainer, a good brother in the Lord, and we were just outside the hotel as I was going to take a walk. And he goes, listen, I'm going to go somewhere. I, I know where the oldest copy, the oldest copy of a Gutenberg Bible is. Can I show you? And I said, yeah, show me. And we walked together a few blocks and shared our, you know, our hearts with each other. And, and ultimately arrived at the place where they were behind the bulletproof glass. It's a, it's a Gutenberg Bible. And I know history. I know that the, the whole world was changed when the Bible was printed in the you know, the, with the invention of the printing press and the made available to the, to the regular man, a revival of literacy and learning and the, and the whole Reformation. It was the Reformation that gave birth to America. I know that. And it was the Great Awakening here in America that caused our forefathers to have the courage to take on the world's superpower and dare to believe that they could be free. Anyway, so I'm processing all of that. And I, I said, listen, man, I'll see you back, uh, back at the thing. And I get with God. I just got to get along. So I walk, and I was praying. And as I'm walking along, you, you can feel the, the, like, static in the air above D.C. Like, there's just this collision of principalities and powers. And it's rather intimidating. You can feel like you're, you're a very small being. Like, there are higher life forms that are laughing at you above you. They're, they're colliding in the clouds. And, you're, and you find yourself going, I am, a, you know, just, I am, I'm a pastor of, in an obscure little place. What am I doing here? And how can I affect any of this? It was my conversation with the Lord. And the Lord spoke to me from words that I had spoken, I had heard spoken at the, uh, at the event. And it was the Lord saying, this, was, uh, this is a unique sort of nation. This is a government that is by the people and for the people. And politicians are merely actors performing a script that is written by the audience affect the audience. And I said, Lord, I don't have any idea how. But he said, well, just, you, you trust me with that. And I said, Lord, I'll trust you with that. He spoke to my heart. And I said, all right, then you, you open the doors and I will, I'll go where you say go. I'll just trust and, and do what you say. It'll be obvious, right? And you don't, you'll tell me. And the Lord said, yeah, you know. I came away from that with uh, peace. Not long after that, it was Rob McCoy who um, got me invited to an event that he was involved with David Lane uh, all the way up in New Hampshire. And it was, you know, Pastor Don McClure was going to be speaking at it. I know Don, so, you know, the, the, uh, the bait of a night out uh, with my wife and somebody else is going to pick up the tab and, and, a, and a hotel room. And I said, in a nice hotel. I said, absolutely, we'll come down. And I love Don. So I came down and I was stirred by that. And that began something for me. And I said, you know, it was David Lane asking me to preach, speak at an event, and then after that asked me to join the team. And then, you know, just then this, this whole thing he's doing started picking up momentum. And we were, we were being busier. So anyway, I came to the point where as a dad, 
Now the little boy, my little brown Viking son, Benjamin, well, I believe it's, it's very, he wants me home on the weekend. Weekend's kind of a big deal. Boy's going to do anything athletically, you know, sports. It's kind of a, it's a big deal to have your dad around. So it was a priority. And so I had, I had the sense that these two things were coming together, that he needs me home, and I need to have a different priority. The Lord's given me a burden for the nation, and I want to affect the nation. <clears throat> I want to affect the nation. I want to affect it. And, and the opportunity was there to affect pastors and to call pastors back to the Word of God, to the Word, to full confidence in the Word, to, to, the, to the whole counsel of God, and dare to get those guys to, to unleash the sword of the Spirit upon the congregations of America. Well, so I'm, I have a sense that this is what the Lord is speaking to me. There are three ways that God is going to talk to you and me, brothers. Three ways. Three ways, and they must be kept in this order. Number one, what does he say from his word? How does his word, not just what does he say in a general sense, but how does he cause the word of God to leap off the page in application to you by the Holy Spirit? Right? So number one is the word. Number two is always... What is he saying in the deepest part of your being by his Holy Spirit? He will speak. He'll think his thoughts through you. You, you learn to, to know his voice. That's, that's important. What is his spirit saying to your heart? But number three, and this is always last, is what is the hand of providence doing to confirm what you believe he's saying from his word and what you believe his spirit is saying to your heart? What doors does he open? What doors does he close? How is God working in the circumstances to confirm those other two? So check this out. First thing, I said, Lord, just confirm. I, I really believe you want me to make this a priority. And uh, I, by the way, I only do men's retreats on a rare occasion. The pastors, you know, a close friend, or is in, the, or is in this case, <laughs> when I have a connection. Calvary Chapel, Thousand Oaks is the church I took a wife out of. And so I feel related. And... Um, I said, Lord, if that's what you're saying to me, just confirm it. Just show me something. I'm not one of those guys like Gideon, the, the total chicken hero. And, and, and um, I'm a little braver than Gideon. Gideon's like, no way, Lord, please, come on, no. All right, how about best two out of three? And, and, uh, and then I, so, you know, I just, I made a statement to a friend because I cannot stand, and forgive me if this offends you, the Toyota Prius. It's a communist car, I tell you. <clears throat> now, I'm sure it's, you know, there's, it's probably not that different here as it is. But in the Northeast, every Prius that goes by has got the total leftist kit stuck on the back of it. Every liberal leftist godless stupid statement that they could make. It's like when you step out of the closet, they give you a kit. And then you slap it on the back of your Prius. While making this observation, I just said to a friend something ridiculous. Just one time, I'd like to see a Prius with an NRA sticker on it or something. <laughs> something absolutely absurd. We'll show picture number one. Boom. I found myself that very next day behind this Prius in liberal southern Maine. Impeach Obama. Now, Obama bin Laden. Over here. You know, I'll keep my guns streaming money. You can keep the change. This was uh, 2013, April, 2013. And that little sticker right out there beside the oh, impeach now, that's your NRA sticker. That's a sign. I'm like, this is a sign from God. Like you overheard. I didn't ask him to show me such a thing. I just made an off-the-cuff statement to a friend. I learned one time like this here. Free. That would be, you don't see that every day. It's like when the Lord said, you guys, go to the city, and when you go to the city, you can see a man carrying a pitcher of water. Well, that's something you don't just see every day in that culture. Men carrying pitchers of water. Well, you don't see every day in the Northeast. So I don't know who the guy is, but it blessed me out of my boots. Well, the day later, I'm going to meet up with a brother down there in southern Maine. I had to get up there to get the picture. <laughs> we were stopped at the light. You can tell. It's an intersection. But anyway, I, I, so, you know, I wanted to shake hands with him anyway if I could have. So next day, the very next day, I was meeting a brother, and I said, I don't know, where do you want to meet? I, I don't know anything down here. Let's just, we got to get some breakfast. Let's meet over at the IHOP, you know, International House of Pancakes, get something to eat. 
we go in and we sit down and we start talking about this. I'm sharing my heart with him about what the Lord is leading this new season of my life and the priority of it being the nation. We ordered breakfast. We both ordered steak and eggs. His breakfast came, the steak, typical, it's just a slab. It's kind of a rectangle, right? My steak came. Next picture. <laughs> Do you see what I see? <laughs> it, it leaped off the plate at me. I went, are you going to be kidding? You'll see a little greasy spot down there. That's for me just rotating it, turning it around so there was proper north to south. And all I can do is laugh. I go, Lord, that is funny. That's cute. I'm looking at the lower 48, complete with the Gulf of Mexico and the Great Lakes. It just showed up like that, guys. God is my witness. <laughs> now you can see the marvel of the fat. It's just the East Coast. Yeah. All right. I just want to testify to you that God does, in fact, so speak, and he does confirm. I get a kick out of it. I hadn't really shared it with anybody. Rob said, you know, you ought to share that. What's that next one? I, the, the next slide I wanted to throw up there. This one, yes. Right, There's a story here. I'll try to keep it brief. I am a father, and I love being a dad. I have a stepson. He was a little eight-year-old boy when I married his mom. And we've had a great 33 years together. It's had its ups and downs. I love him. He's 40 years old now, and he's... The federal corrections office. Now, though, he's, he went from uh, National Guard when the 9-11 happened. He didn't want to be in the National Guard anymore. He wanted to be in the regular army. He got himself in the regular army and picked up a gun and went to war and uh, infantry. Came back and took a job with the federal government in corrections. And now he's, uh, he's involved in a bunch of uh, securities training, a whole bunch of real advanced training that's going to get him some other government agencies. I love my stepson, but he's... His name is Micah, and uh, his last name is Haggerty. He's, you know, he's my stepson. And very much, it's, it's an interesting relationship, the uh, stepdad relationship. I have an obligation to him. <clears throat> and I love him. And I share him with, you know, his, his uh, biological dad. And my wife and I, we have uh, between us, my daughter, now 30. She is also on staff ministry with me, as, as her husband is. They have three children. They live two houses down. Very proud of my daughter. She's one of the best speakers I have ever heard as a woman. She, she, she lays things out and she makes good sense. Very proud of her. Proud of her wisdom. And I love being her dad. I didn't want it to end, but it did. I mean, it didn't really end, but, you know, you transition. She's an adult. She's now, you know, married. And, you know, the day that I, the day that she left home to go to Bible college, and I knew that was it, I cried for an hour. It was an hour drive from... I was leaving to go to uh, Sudan, and an hour drive to the, the airport I was flying out of. And I cried all the way there. The, you know, just knowing when I come home, she's not going to be there anymore. I was so grown up. Had a longing in my heart. My wife and I have had, you know, various, you, you, you guys probably know this, the pain of miscarriage, loss of little babies before you meet them. And we, we experienced the years of pain with uh, uh, adoption miscarriages, and they, they hurt just as bad. And, but you're going to have pain, right? You need pain. No pain, no gain is a law in God's universe. And, and I had that source of pain that drove me to a lot of prayer. And over the years, I had this ache in my heart for a son, a longing for a son. I want to invest in a son. And there were so many, you know, closed doors. And I found myself at the age of 43, finally coming to a place of acceptance. You know, my daughter had gone to Bible college, and I was now, my wife and I were empty nest. I was down in, um, so I was down doing a weekend with some men at uh, Calvary Chapel Vista. And after, and during the thing, it was it was a good time, and we talked about rites of passage and, and the father's obligation to his sons and his daughters, the need for a rite of passage that manhood is conferred from father to son. And I want to, and the guys receded. It was a good time, and afterward, I was just talking to the Lord. I wasn't asking for anything. I was actually thanking Him. For the weekend, it was a good time. We were alone, and I just said, thanks, Lord. And then, you, then I went, you know what? Of all of the guys, I just don't understand how come you never gave me a son. Why no son? I mean, you got me doing this gig. And uh, the Lord interrupted me, 
in a way that his spirit does not speak to me every single day. He interrupted me and, and spoke to me. He said, ask me for a son right now. I mean, at 43, I was acting like it's over. It's too late, you know. <laughs> that season came and went, and I didn't accept it. And the Lord said, ask me for one right now. I went, what? Really? All right, Lord. Would you give me a son? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, yep, son's on the way. Well, it was kind of an ironic thing because six years earlier, it was a pastor's conference at Costa Mesa, at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and during the conference, John Corson was at the podium, and before he began his teaching, Cosmic Corson gets this you know, word from God. He's like, oh, oh, what? And he goes, all of you who have prodigals, Stand up. And everybody had a prodigal, you know, stood. All the pastors, and plenty of them, there were guys around me. So I was actually at that time going, man, thank you, Lord, I don't have a prodigal right now. What a blessing. I'd had one. I know what it was like. And then he comes up with this obscure passage, very obscure passage. It was really a, a passage in Isaiah that was all the more about, uh, you know, the diaspora. It was a passage where God has kind of given the promise that I'll, I'll bring you back together. But in that Isaiah, chapter 60, verse 4, passage. There's this line that says, I will bring your sons from afar and your daughters. And, and I, everybody there that has a prodigal is here, and the Lord speak to their heart going, man, the Lord's going to bring my son home. But I was sitting there at that time, 37 years old, going, I think the Lord just spoke to me. I think he just told me he's going to give me a son. All right, but I didn't tell anybody this. I, well, I told one friend, my, my assistant, Big Jim. I told Jim, you know, the Lord just spoke to me. I didn't tell anybody else. I told nobody. I just, but, you know, I'll tell you why I didn't tell anybody, because I, I think it, that you have to also acknowledge the, the possibility that when you're hearing something that you want to hear, you might just be convincing yourself with something that God didn't really say. Amazing how many young single guys hear from God about beautiful women. God has spoken to me. She's the one. And in acknowledging this, self-deception is something we're all vulnerable to. I just determined that I was going to file it away and just see what the Lord did. It wasn't dependent upon me. That's what the Lord was going to do. All right? So now, six years later, God says, ask me for a son. I said, okay, will you give me a son? And he goes, on the way. I go home from that event. Days later... After the Sunday morning service, a couple approached me, good friends of mine. We had invested some training in them. We'd sent them away to get some training to counsel young ladies that were in sort of crisis pregnancies and were considering adoption. And they were working with, you know, young ladies that in, in open adoptions. We actually, you know, the, where the birth mother gets to choose the family that will adopt her, her baby. I know that about them. They come up to me and they go, hey, we'd like to talk to you and Jeanette tonight after church. Instantly I'm going, oh, that, that is weird. That's, that has got to be connected to what the Lord spoke to me. A weekend, last weekend. No, actually it was early in the week. I didn't say anything. I knew that they were counseling a young lady, ironically, from Vista, California, that was in our women's home. In residential discipleship, and that she was in her seventh month, and that she was carrying a boy. This I knew. I only knew that much. More of that later, but I knew that. And I, I couldn't help but think that has got to be connected to this. But I didn't say anything. I said, yeah, well, sure, we'll meet with you tonight. Anyway, that, that evening came. My wife and I met with them after the evening service, and they sprung it on us. That this young lady, who was the same age as my daughter, this young lady was She's got all these file folders and all of these families that are willing to adopt her baby. And they're all good. And she prayed about all of them and rejected them all and has picked you two. And we weren't even an option. We never did any of the application. It just laid it on us. Well, long story short. There's a four-month waiting period. That, that little boy was, he was born. And five minutes out of the womb, five minutes out of the oven, that little package was handed to us by a young mother who was, who was handing us a piece of her soul with tears. The 19-year-old mother said, here is your baby. I'll never forget it. 
I'll never forget that moment. She handed that baby to my, my, my wife. I stood behind my wife and let her receive as a mother. There's a four-month waiting period. I don't know if you know that with, with adoptions before they're final. There's a sort of a cooling. What, what if somebody changes their mind? They have this sort of a probationary period. And you kind of, you know, you're, you're intense during that period of time because your heart just continues to grow with this child. And, and yet you have to live every day with the knowledge that someone could change their mind and take them back. And there's nothing you can do about that. Well, that day finally came. We had our day at the courthouse, down the Hancock County Courthouse. My family and I went, and, and the, the adoption was final, and the judge took all kinds of time telling us just how much this is your child. This is your child right now. This is as much your child as if you had procreated him in the eyes of the law. It was a, it was a good time. The judge recognized me from local television ministry, and for whatever reason, just took it upon himself to give us a nearly hour-long ceremony, which is usually just a few minutes, after the ceremony, I took the family home. It was a, it was a happy day. I, I then changed my clothes back into Catholic chapel clothes from courthouse clothes and went into work. I arrived at the office, and the church secretary handed me some mail, my mail, out of my box. And in the mail was this card from All Souls Congregational Church, local church, and the pastor there is a friend of mine who himself has adopted children. He's a white-haired old man. He's eloquent, Midwest, uh, Midwest uh, congregationalist. And inside the card, next slide, with his own handwriting, dear Jeanette Ken, he quotes, this is January 11th, 2007, lift up your eyes round about and see they all gather together. They shall come to you. Your son shall come from far. He wrote that obscure passage that nobody would ever connect with adoption on a card to congratulate us on that very day. He didn't know that that was the day the adoption was final. He didn't know that I'd ever heard God speak from that room, that obscure passage to my soul. And when I held it in my hand, all I could do was laugh. I just laughed. <laughs> it was you. That was you. I wondered if that was actually you, and it was you. You, back in 2000, six years ago, you said, you're going to give me a son, and you did it. So I just wanted to share that with you. This next two slides are just for fun. See this old dude? He's got a pet moose. <laughs> this is my great-grandfather, Arthur Peterson, a Swedish immigrant. He comes to the state of Maine, and I don't know how. I have no detail on the story except he's like, yeah, I want the moose. <laughs> and he got himself a moose on a rope. Next shot, zoom in. This, I'm telling you, this is me without teeth. It's me without the front teeth and a beard, I'm telling you. It blew my mind when I found a picture. All right, bring the lights up, and we'll move on. That was just testimony. I got something for you guys tonight that I received from the Lord on the flight over. I can honestly tell you that everything I've preached has been preached somewhere else. Everything, nothing. You know, I, if the Lord gives it, I deliver it where he gives me the opportunity. So a lot of reruns. This is fresh. This was, again, this is in the, the flight over here. Spending time with the Lord, strapped in my seat, headphones on, Bible open. I will also tell you that I spent a few minutes with G. Campbell Morgan. Um, he always makes me think, provokes me, blows my mind. I have a title for this. You can turn to Genesis chapter 22. Three firsts. All found in Genesis chapter 22. Three firsts. Do you know what those three firsts are? They are the first mention of... Love, a land, and a lamb. First mention in the Bible of the word love. Now, love is alluded to. The phenomenon is described. There's no question that love is what went wrong in Eden. God created love. Love was good. God gave our first parents the love that they had for each other. But that love became an idol. Adam chose the creature more than the creator and loved him more. 
It's idolatry. Adam's sin was idolatry. Adam's sin was choosing Eve over God, over the voice of the Lord God. Love is certainly alluded to, but it, the word itself does not appear until Genesis chapter 22. God, on purpose, God saved it for this chapter. The reference to a specific piece of ground, the land, where love would ultimately be demonstrated and where a lamb would be slain. First, right here in Genesis chapter 22. Everything up until that time is just promises that God made to Abraham. I'm going to give you this land. And that's talking about the general sense, the, the land of Canaan. But here in Genesis 22, God says, there's a specific place I'm going to show you. I want you to offer up your son there. A love, a land, and a lamb. Genesis chapter 22 is the defining moment of Abraham's life. And for this, I'm very grateful. Let me just say on this, that if the defining moment of Abraham's life were any place before this, he would not be known as he is the father of everyone who comes to God by faith. Abraham's life is defined by faith, but truly, before this chapter, is not so much. He's a work in progress. The story begins in Genesis chapter 12. There's ten chapters leading up to this of his ups and downs. Sometimes he believes a little. Sometimes he's, in, he's guilty of unbelief. Sometimes he takes matters into his own hands and makes a mess. Sometimes he's a downright coward. And other times he's a hero, shocking everybody, taking on a confederacy of kings with a bunch of shepherds. Bunch of, you know, farmers, farm tools, and winning. It's an amazing story, the story of Abraham. I say to you, brothers, I don't know what your past is, but your past does not have to define you. You don't have to be defined by your past. You don't have to be, de- you don't have to be defined by where you came from. Not limited to who your earthly dad is or what your environment coming up was like. Because none of them are your maker, and you are not their workmanship. You don't have to be defined by the gang you came out of. You don't have to be defined by the uncle that molested you. You don't have to be defined by your first marriage or all your failures or addictions. The defining moment of a man's life is all about when faith actually takes action. Genesis chapter 22, and it came to pass after these things. I'm very blessed. First time I heard it preached, it was that John Corson. It went on and on about it. came to pass after these things. What things? Ten chapters of men's ups and downs. Ten chapters where God is proving himself to be faithful to a man. It's amazing to me. How God produced the faith in Abraham and then commends Abraham for having it. Came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, and I don't, personally I think the King James Version should rightly, the way we use the, the word now, have that as test Abraham. There's a difference between testing and tempting. God put him to the test. Not to find out anything, but to prove what he, God, already knows. Some of the reason why God ever tests any of us. God would test us like we would test the platform after we built it. Confident that it's going to do what we built it to do. We engineered it, right? Podium, we'll put it to the test. We'll test it. And we'll see that it, it does the job. It holds up. This is what we do, right? We build stuff and we test it. That's what God does. God did test Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. He said, Now take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. First time, right there, brothers. First time in the whole Bible, the word love. Whom you love. This is God. The God who saw Adam be tested. And Adam loved the gift more than the giver. Adam loved the created thing more than the creator. This is the same God who now says to Abraham, Take thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. 
It's interesting. God says, thine only son. There was, of course, Ishmael, but God doesn't acknowledge. God already said, Ishmael's not yours. Ishmael is my son. It doesn't count. The, the son of the flesh, I'm not counting him as yours. It's not the one, the son of promise. That's not the one I told you I was going to give you. God said, take your son, your only son whom you love. Get thee to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. God had a land. God had a certain patch of land. God had a spot in mind. It was the very spot. You know this. The very spot where he would, way in the future, offer up his only son whom he loved. Verse 3, Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place which God had told him, of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. On the third day, that means from the time Abraham took his first step to do what God said until he arrived at the place, three days and right there, the very first prophecy that Jesus Christ would die and be three days dead before being resurrected. The very first prophecy of three days down is right there. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. That is a statement of faith, brothers. That's not a lie. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Abraham had come to the place where he actually believed that God could and would raise Isaac from the dead. He said with confidence, we're going to go there and worship, and we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac, his son. So you can see Isaac being again the picture, carrying wood on his shoulders, he is acting out the part of the Son of God, God's only Son, whom God loves. Isaac's compliance is worth noting. It's a type of our Savior. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it upon his son Isaac. He took the fire in his hand and the knife. And they went both of them together, and Isaac spake to Abraham his father and said, my father, he said, here am I. And I'm sure he said it with a broken heart. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Where's the lamb? It was G. Campbell Morgan saying the voice of the Old Testament, saying, where's the lamb? Contrasted with the voice of the new John the Baptist going, Behold the Lamb of God. Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. That's prophecy. That is prophecy. That's prophetic. The King James Version has it right. God will provide himself. Not God will provide for himself a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. That is the first significant prophecy of the incarnation. God will provide himself. God's going to put on skin, walk among us, live a sinless life, die a sacrificial death as the Lamb of God. Abraham's answer, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him of, which God had um, which, which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took a knife to slay his son. I believe Abraham believed. But that doesn't mean that didn't hurt. It doesn't mean Abraham's heart's not breaking. It doesn't mean that tears are not falling down his wrinkled face. The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here am I. He said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do 
thou anything unto him for now. I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, a ram caught in a thicket. That was not the fulfillment of Abraham's words, because Abraham said God will provide himself a lamb. And what does he find caught in a thicket? A ram. But it was God's provision. A ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. And said, said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. God provided. Provision of God seen in the mount. A significant mount, a very specific place. Mount Moriah. Right there, brothers, there is those very first threes mentioned. First use of the word love. The first specific reference to the land, the very specific place, where ultimately the Lamb of God would die. For the sins of the whole world. A love, a land, and a Lamb. At this point, brothers, I want to point out to you what Abraham did. Let me point out to you because it's in the words of James. James said, faith without works is dead. He said, real faith is going to be demonstrated by action. And I think this is what the Lord wants to say. I really believe in prayer. On my way here, the Lord was just giving me this, just blowing my mind with it on a plane. First of all, as I already testified to you, God does speak. Number one, from his word. Number two, by his spirit. Number three, the hand of providence. The ram caught by his horns in a thicket. How do you miss that? Right? It's all about the timing. It's all about these things. And it's it right that we should read those circumstances. But keep it in that order. Don't get it backwards. Don't start reading circumstances and trying to determine the will of God from them. Look for confirmation for what you believe God is speaking to you by his word, texting him, and by his spirit, deepest part of you. Let those three bear witness to you. But ultimately, my dear brothers, and I think this is what the Lord has for you tonight, is when God speaks, what is our duty? Our duty is to believe, right? When God speaks, our only duty is to believe what he says. And if we believe what he says, then it is our duty to take action. And it, it occurs to me, going through this, a series of actions, a series of actions, a series of works, a series of deeds. This event is all about Abraham's faith, but that faith is seen by what Abraham does. And I tell you, brothers, there may be, you know, it's, I think probably probable that, probably probable, that among us, there are guys who want the big picture, trying to figure out the will of God in the big picture. And I tell you, you're not going to know step 1,000 until you have taken step one through 999. I mean, you know what I mean. Me and math. Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. I was right. Okay. One of you brothers was talking to me earlier today <clears throat> about being young in the Lord. So much. So many doubts. And, you know, what do I deal with? How do I deal with all that? I said, look, just deal with increments. Just deal with one step at a time. One move at a time. Guy goes into the, <clears throat> the fight gym and says, look, I just want to know how to do a wheel kick. He's, he's stupid. <laughs> and, I, and the general trainer is going to go, no. I'm going to start with how do you stand. I'm going to work with how do you fall. There's a whole bunch of things that are going to come before your technique, your wheel kick that you want to look like Chuck Norris with. It's going to be, and, and it, it, this is how it is spiritually for you and me, but I'm telling you guys, there are things that God speaks to you, and he has no doubt spoken to you while you're up here, and your duty is to believe. And if you believe, then your duty is to take one 
incremental step at a time. Look at what Abraham did. I just, I wrote these down. I wrote, I wrote you, you can probably find more. I wrote 13 actions that Abraham took when God spoke. They all begin with the letter L, you might notice. Number one, he loaded his burden bearer. First thing he does, Abraham saddled his ass. <laughs> There's a black man once, young baby Christian, Teen Challenge, he went, Abraham saddled his ass. What's that mean, man? That sounds painful. <laughs> yeah. No idea that an ass was a beast of burden. <laughs> Step one, he loaded the truck. Step two, he left for that land. Which, by the way, he didn't know where he was going. He can't stand there and go, well, where am I going? The Lord, just like Abraham's adventure began by God saying, just, just go where I'm sending you. The place I'm going to show you. He left for that land. That, that involves the first step, brother. Three. He lifted up his eyes and he saw it afar off. Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw it. Number four. He left the servants with a promise to return. Number five. Number four was he left those two servants with a promise to return. That's a statement of faith. Number five, he laid the wood on Isaac. Number six, he looked to a future lamb. That answer to Isaac. Where's the lamb? God will provide himself a lamb. That's Abraham looking way into the future. That's a prophecy. Number seven, he laid stone upon stone. He built an altar. How do you build an altar? You pile your rocks. He laid stone upon stone. Number eight, he laid wood upon stone. Number nine, he laid his son upon the wood. Number 10, he lifted the knife to kill. Number 11, he listened to the voice of the angel of God. He listened, he hearkened. The voice that called him by name twice, Abraham, Abraham. Number 12, he laid not his hand on his son. Which is exactly what the angel said. Lay not your hand upon him to do him any harm. Number 13. He lifted his eyes again. Looked to see the ram in the thicket. I'll repeat them. Number one, he loaded his burden bearer. Number two, he left for that land. He didn't know where it was, but he left in obedience. Number three, he lifted up his eyes and he saw it afar off. Three days later, on the third day. Number four, he left servants with a promise to return. Number five, he laid the wood on Isaac. Number six, he looked to a future lamb. Number seven, he laid stone on stone. Number eight, he laid wood upon stone. Number nine, he laid his son, his love, on the wood. And then he lifted the knife to kill. Eleven, he listened to the angel of God. Twelve, he laid not his hand on his son. And thirteen, he lifted his eyes and looked to see the ram. What's that got to do with you and me? I don't know what the Lord is saying to you. But I do know this, you are his son. If the Spirit dwells in you, if you've accepted the only begotten, you are God's son, you are my brother, and as such, no doubt in my mind that God has a plan for you and that he wishes very much for you to hear his voice. You came up here hoping to hear. What has God spoken to you? Your duty is, number one, to believe. 
And if you believe, your duty is to take action. And every action that you're called to, big and small, starts with the first step. I don't know what that is for you. For some, it may be, part, you know, part of that, you know, the, from the epistles, put off this and put on that. Some of you, maybe. It, it's a little thing, but God's saying, let the tobacco go. It owns you. Quit it. It's gotten years off your life. Let it go. It may be. I don't know. But, I, but this I do know. The Lord never says, quit doing something without saying now, but rather do this opposite thing. Whatever that may be. I know this, if the problem is pornography, the Lord is going to say, take the step to cut off your own personal access to it. You get the filter, get a, get a browser that'll filter. I've been blessed to discover it as I have mine filtered, believe me. In fact, the cool thing is now Safari can actually, it has a filter connected to it. And Google, it's, it's, it's a blessing. You don't have to have this. Why should any Christian man live without unlimited access through a device where he can just look right into the world of evil and vicariously participate? Something like 80% of the average, 80% of the Christian men are regularly viewing porn. It's going to come after you. So take a step. Take, what's the first step? The first step is going to be, well, I'm going to cut, I'm going to, I'm going to commit to not doing that. That's, I've settled it in my heart. That is not the will of God for me. That is sin. People are being exploited. I'm not doing, I'm not going to participate. And then cut off access. It's not that hard. You just, if you like me, you got a friend, you go, dude, here's, you lock that stinking thing up. Do the filter. Give it back to me. Password protected. When I need something, I will come to you. I have those friends. We do that for each other. Well, guys on my staff, we, we, we have filters, man. We're not going to play around with a window readily available. You can just open up anytime. I don't need that. I'm not, I'm not that strong. But it's not enough to just going to quit doing that or take a first step. Then I'm going to commit. The next thing I'm going to commit is doing something to fight against the exploitation of women. If you've ever spent a dollar on pornography, you ought to be given a dollar. You ought to be given $10 to any ministry that you know of that is helping women get free from the trafficking. So it's not just quit this. Do this. Walk in purity. Walk in purity. Help your brothers. What, what is, but what is the first step for you? I don't know what it is. What, what's God saying to you? Whatever it is, this I know. Your duty is to believe. And your, your duty is if, in fact, you believe, take a step. Whatever that is, it starts somewhere. You've been abusing your wife. You've been throwing your weight around, being a tyrant. Oh, God, he doesn't just tell you quit doing that. And which, by the way, he does say quit doing that. Do you know, think about this for a second, guys. We who have married one of his daughters have our father in heaven becomes also our father-in-law in heaven. It cares very much what we're doing with regard to that daughter of his that we married. So much that in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, I won't even listen to your prayers. That's pretty intense, isn't it? It's my daughter you got there. Weaker vessel, delicate, easily broken. You can't treat her like one of the guys. I can tell you, oh, the first early years of my marriage were intense. I guess I, you know what, I'm going to say about 90% of everything I know about the differences between men and women, I have learned from that woman that I married. That woman is so much, she is as much a woman as I am not one. Honestly, that woman is as feminine as I am not. I, as, to the same degree, I am masculine on the Viking end of the Mr. Scale. That woman is feminine. Her feelings are huge. They're giant. They scare me sometimes. They're so big. They're huge. Her feelings are giant. The good ones and the bad ones. And nobody can affect them like me. I tell you, the first few years of marriage, I'd yell at that woman, I'd preach! I would, I would preach and I would demand, I would throw, honestly, never been a man to ever, would never see my father beat my mother. I'd never touch my wife. And I, 
would break my heart even the thought of it. I sure punched doors and walls. And I didn't punch sheetrock either. That's wimpy. Punching sheetrock. Punching, I'm punching the hardwood. Punching stone and cement and other masonries. Times of the frustration of trying to figure things out. Man. I had been, and honestly, my wife would tell you, I was not a good husband. Terrible husband those early years. As much as she would say she was a terrible wife. We spent the first few years, it was for us, the first few years of marriage were heaven and hell. Until we grew up and we found a place on earth in between the two. We like it. You visit heaven every now and then. The rest of the time you stay away from hell altogether. But if you've been that, a first step may involve you just being broken and really humbled to her and going, I have, I have used my strength to try to dominate you, win the argument instead of winning your heart. Please forgive me. And then it's, it's the but rather. Instead of, you know, anger and, and volume, you commit. And instead of that, instead of, I will put off that and I will put on this. I will walk away and go pray. I will go shout to God. <laughs> and I, I, I can tell you, I can testify to you. That every time, it, it, when it started getting good, it was when every time I'm ready to flip out, I'm ready to lose it on this irrational person the Lord handcuffed me to. Where I go, I am, I am going to go and pray without slamming the door. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go talk to God. I had this occasion where I, I got with God, and I'm going, this, I, was, I was yelling. I was in the truck driving. I'm like, God, do you, do, you, do you see this woman? Do you see what she's doing to me? I'm yelling in prayer. And, and just as much as that occasion I testified to earlier where the Lord spoke to me, he spoke to me right there and said, stop your whining. Knock it off. Shut up. He said it to me. And I shut up. He goes, and I'll tell you right now, she was asking what was absolutely unreasonable. It was ridiculous. She wanted a room furnished before a company arrived. And that involved, honestly, I said, you, you don't want me to sleep tonight. It's not going to happen. It's going to be a day late, okay? They're going to come. They'll spend the night on the couch. It's okay. I was driving away when talking to God. He goes, won't you just shut up and do it? Just do it. And I did it. I worked all night. Not to, like, rub it in face. I worked. I worked all night moving furniture to the second floor of my house. From the second floor of a storage facility. Down in the truck. I'm talking about it. It's a significant workout. When I finally got it all done, and I did it without waking up the family. I did it while she slept. <laughs> Dawn, I was sleeping on the floor of the room I'd furnished. And I woke up to her kisses and her apologies. How ridiculous it was what she asked, which I had done. <laughs> and I was a hero. But I'm telling you if, you, if you go away and talk to God, do you shouting to God? He'll put you in the place. He'll put you in the place. You can shout. He can take it, and he can give it. He's got a bigger voice than any of us. And he'll whisper to your heart and break a bone. He'd just go, hey, shut up. What you, I, one, I'm not kidding you. There was an occasion where I was so frustrated with this struggle, this one thing. I was like, this horrible temptation. And I was like, and I many times had these breakdowns alone with God. And I was building up to another one. And I heard the voice of God go, what, are you going to cry now? <laughs> it made me laugh. Well, I, I think I was leading up to that. <laughs> He's not kidding. I don't know if he talks to you like that. But he did. He's like, what, what are you going to cry now? 
<laughs> what, is it, what is God talking to you about? I don't know, man. What is it with you? God calling you to a new vocation, calling you to a new land, calling you to go out somewhere, as he called Abraham. What is he? But I'll tell you this. Your duty is to, to believe him. If he speaks, if he has spoken, one, two, three. You got three witnesses. His word spoken, his spirit spoken, and you've been set up. Circumstances, like, like that preacher bringing that thing up. It's like he was, are you reading my mail? What are you doing? Now, no, it's the Lord doing that stuff. It's your duty to just believe. And if you believe, it's your duty to act. And that acting requires a first step. I, I got, there's probably more, but I got 13 steps that Abraham took. And it's by those steps that we know his faith. Just think about this, guys. Think about it. What is God saying to you? What you going to do? We gonna cry now? <laughs> no, because <laughs> my, my 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 dear wife will go. She she go. How did the men's thing go? Did they cry? <laughs> no. We don't. Women's retreats are measured in pints. How the quality of the event was? How much weeping happened? How much is just pouring it out? No. No, mister, you will not cry. You'd knock it off right now. No, you will not. No, sir, you will not cry. That's women's world. It's a different thing, man. I was heading out to go do a men's thing down. It was springtime. Heading down to Florida. Buddy John. He's a fighter. Fought for the United States Army. He's going down with me. And she's concerned. My Creole wife's concerned about my whiteness. Getting sunburned. She don't want me to get skin cancer. She's like, you take sunscreen with you. Put it on your bag. How am I going to get it in my bag? Have John do it, she says. <laughs> exactly. You don't come from the man's world. No man is rubbing anything on my back. Not even my buddy John. <laughs> then John and I got talking about it on the trip. He goes, I guess there's ways you could do it. Like you smear it on your knuckles. And you work it out on the guy's back. Wouldn't be so bad. You can get it done that way, right? Or if you could fling it. <laughs> but we don't be rubbing it on. <laughs> but it comes in a spray can now. Even still, right? We're men. We don't be rub- There's a manly way to do everything, you guys. Everything. There's a manly way. I'm going to write a book on this. There's a manly way to put lip balm on. Plan A, you put it on the lips of your wife and take it off that way. If she's not available, you clench the stick with a fist. Okay? And you you go across this way. You don't pucker and you don't hold it with a wrist like this. Are we in agreement or what? There's a, I have discovered there's a manly way to do everything except eat an ice cream cone. There is no manly way of checked unless you bite it. I can treat it like jerky. But I have stood and watched bikers walk up to the dairy bar and walk away. <laughs> there is no manly way to lick an ice cream. You're going to eat your ice cream cone. I just, just chew it and let your teeth ache. Put it in a cup. Use a, use a knife. But then again, this is irrelevant to our discussion, I suppose. But let's, will you pray with me? Just, just pray with me for a second about this. What is God saying to you? Is God speaking? Has his word spoken? Has his spirit spoken? Has he worked in circumstances? Well, then you and I have a response. Father, I I pray to you in agreement with my brothers, with men of God here gathered. 
And I ask you to make clear to our hearts what you are saying to us individually. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for being willing to speak to us. Lord, we want to hear. We came here hoping to hear your voice. When you speak to us, things start coming together. Things make sense. Just one word from you, and, and peace comes. At least when we surrender to that word. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, your only begotten, in the name of our perfect elder brother, in his name, I pray, Lord, that you would make abundantly clear to each one of us what step or steps lie before us. No doubt you spoke to my heart on the way here. This message was for these men. I don't know if it's one of those messages you're going to have me deliver elsewhere. I know this one came from you for here, for tonight. So please, let us hear you in your holy name.